one of the things I love about my church is that I can stand up here right now in front of you about to preach wearing a t-shirt. I mean, how weird is that, right? I can remember the very first time I actually, I actually preached in front of a group. I was going to say the first time I ever spoke in front of a group, but it was really not then. That was the first time I really aired in front of a group because I had, to, I had the job assigned to me to speak in front of a senior adult group. I was in the seventh grade, I believe, and I used the verse, um, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. <laughs> and so I, gave, I went through this whole speech about how I know how you guys all hate us and because we're young, and it was awful. I mean, it was absolutely awful, and I had these sweet ladies come up to me and hug my neck, pinch my cheeks, and say, we don't hate you, we just envy you. And she was extremely delicate with me, but that was actually the very first time I ever spoke. But I remember the first time I spoke in my home church, and um, then, too, I was, I was, I don't know, an older teen, maybe, and I can remember it was right after I got my hair cut, because it was longer, so I must have been older than my teens, and I remember making the joke that I had just gotten a Baptist haircut, because it was short, right? So we've come a long way, and when I do wear a suit, which, by the way, the last few weeks, I've, you know, I've kind of felt suit-worthy, and so I've, I've worn a suit to church the last few weeks just because I wanted to. Sometimes I wake up, I'm like, you know, today feels like a suit day, but it's been like three or four weeks in a row, and so I just wake up, and you know, sometimes it's because, you know, I don't want to iron something or whatever, you know, so I put it on, I'm like, yeah, it'll work, and people always ask me the same thing, oh, are you preaching today? <laughs> You know, like, no, I'm not. That's what they ask guys like me. If you're a minister and you're in a suit, sometimes that's the kind of the church joke. Um, so today, nobody asked me that question at all. Nobody. So I wore my say yes to the next generation shirt. And I love this shirt. Because we want to say yes to the next generation. Absolutely say yes to the next generation. And so what you saw tonight, for example with our creative movement group is an example of part of our next generation. What you saw this morning if you were here, and really even tonight, the baptisms is part of our next generation. And I know as um, not long ago, I was, Brother Don and I were just kind of talking, walking and talking. Sounds really like, sounds like those guys going to Emmaus, right? You know, we're just walking down the road and talking spiritual things. But we were talking about um, the fact that we've had these, you know, a lot of folks come to know the Lord, you know, and children coming to know the Lord and being baptized and, you know, just seeing that happen. And it's wonderful. I mean, it's a fantastic thing. And he said to me, he said, you know what we got to do now, though? And I said, yes, because I knew exactly what he was thinking. He said, you know, we got to figure out how we're going to disciple these children. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. They must be discipled. That's part of how we say yes to the next generation is discipling those children. And so as I was thinking about tonight and what I might say, I was thinking, well, okay, how can I maybe communicate that a little bit but still relate it to you as well in terms of you personally? I mean, it's one thing to stand up here and tell you what the church is doing for our children, the things that we're trying to, to do strategically to help reach children, the things that we're trying to do to get the word implanted in children's hearts or get them uh, excited about the Bible and get them excited about the Lord in general, excited about sharing their faith, which incidentally, I had the pleasure of hearing a story this morning before church about a little girl who recently became saved sharing her faith. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's fantastic. That's absolutely wonderful. I mean, that she 
this morning, her dad came to me and said, I just got to tell you. And on the way, she's sharing, she was sharing her faith with her nephew. It's fantastic. And so, you know, it's one thing to stand up here and communicate the need for that. But I thought, okay, if we take that, if we just drill that down into a, a system, you know, what, what's a good way to think in terms of what that looks like and what we want out of our children? You know, you hear the term the orchard. I mean, I'm, I talked about it just a little bit there with the, black, the bag. But you may not know what that is. But on Sunday mornings, the orchard is where our children go. And it's not a children's church. It's actually, really for them, it's church. And it's not in place of our church because the idea of the orchard is that when children come up there, they come up there to worship on their level, to learn on their level, while you're in Bible study, and then they go to Bible study as well, and then they come and worship in big church. I still call it that. They come and worship in big church with you as a family. That's the intention. On Wednesday nights, for example, we call it, we're calling it Wednesday Kids, you know, when, Wednesday Kids. And the idea with Wednesday nights and Wednesday kids is that we want to help kids recognize their individuality. We want to help them understand that God has wired them very specifically with the desires that they have, with the hearts, with the passions that they have, and they're not to be compartmentalized. I don't know about you, but you know, a lot of us, I think, or me for sure, growing up, it seems like things were compartmentalized in my life. I'm not sure that the connection between church and the rest of my life or the week necessarily resonated with me. And so what we want to do is help kids recognize God created you unique, God created you individual, God created you special, of course, and he wants to use that for his glory. He wants to use you for his glory, and he wants to use you for his kingdom, and the same is true for you and me. And so what that has allowed us to do is to take adults, for example, that have a particular gift. I've been just incidentally, where's Rex? Where's Jones? Rex Jones. He's here. I've been after him for weeks, really months now, because I want him to do a percussion class for me. I want him to do a percussion track on Wednesday nights for us. I'm going to make him feel really bad right here publicly. But I want, I want him to do that because his story is so great. He used to bang on desks in school. He used to bang on the counters, and teachers would he'd get in trouble. And, you know, but he's taken that, that love and that desire and just the, the rhythm that comes through his body naturally. And now he plays up here on these drums for worship. He praises the Lord through that, and he leads us in our own praise and worship. So God is using the way he wired him to help lead in worship on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, even tonight. And so I want children to recognize that. I want them to see that. Because what we want them to do is we want them to emerge. I mean, I know it's easy to look at them like little minions just running around. But we want them to emerge. We want them to rise up, rise out of, to crop up, to sprout. And so that reminded me of something that was on my heart so many years ago. And it's that very word. You don't have a note sheet in front of you. What you have maybe your worship guide, and I'll get you to flip it over. And on the very back panel, you have a very, you have a blank space back there. So if you want to write this down, you can. And in fact, I would encourage you to write down the word emerge vertically. Because what I'm going to do is give you an acrostic to help us remember these things. Emerge. It's what we want children to do, but really it's what we want to do. It's what I hope that you desire to do yourself. The first one, if you take that first E, is experience God. 
I mean, it sounds basic. It is basic. But we can really do nothing for the kingdom of God until we have experienced God, until we have personally experienced him, had an encounter with God. We can really do nothing for the kingdom of God. We simply exist. And God wants more of us than to convert carbon dioxide to oxygen. He wants significance out of us. He wants us to serve him in a way that builds the kingdom. So what does an experience with God look like? Well, it's going to be different for different people. Mine happened when I was nine years old. I grew up in church. I actually went to a Christian school for a little while, and I had a Bible teacher who helped lead me to the Lord. I had a mom who saw the value in that and taught me from the scriptures for as long as I can remember. I had a pastor who was passionate about making sure I understood what it was I was doing, and I prayed to receive Christ in his office one day. And like those three we saw this morning, I was baptized. That was my experience with God, at least initially for salvation. And so we want to experience God through salvation and ultimately worship as well. But I was thinking about another's experience. If you look with me in the book of Acts, chapter 9, it's a familiar story. Acts chapter 9 says this. Meanwhile, is how mine starts out. And what that means is about the time the Ethiopian eunuch was having his experience with God and being baptized, about that time also Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues. In Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, those disciples of Jesus people, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he says, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. You see, that was Saul's experience with God. And what we're looking at is the infancy stage of his emerging into what God wanted him to be. The instrument that God had planned for him to be. And so Saul goes on into Damascus, and if you know the story... God calls on Ananias, and he tells Ananias, I'm, I want you to go over here, and I want you to see a man called Saul. Uh, he's seen you in a vision that you're coming, and he's praying. And Ananias, of course, had heard about Paul because Paul was persecuting Christians. Saul, that is, was persecuting Christians. He says, yeah, it's one of those moments where he's like, ah, you sure, God? Because I've heard about this guy. I mean, it sounds like this is my death march. It sounds like you're sentencing me now to my death. Because he's coming to arrest people like me. And God says, yeah, but you know what? He's praying. I want you to do this. He's going to see how much he's going to have to suffer for my name's sake. See, he's now a different man. He's had an experience with God. And let me just tell you, God has no trouble communicating himself to us. 
None whatsoever. If you've had an experience with God, if you've had an encounter with God, you know that you've had an encounter with God. Hands down, no questions out. You don't have to say, I don't know, you know. In my experience, when God is telling me something, I know it. Because he has no trouble communicating himself to his people. And in this case, Saul wasn't even really seeking the Lord the way we do. Next is M in the word emerge. So if we experience God through salvation, the next natural thing would be to mix with other believers. So experience God and then we mix with other believers. And I think this is important because God wants us to be around other Christians, other believers, for multiple reasons. Not the least of which would be for our growth, our own personal growth. And so immediately Saul is sent to Damascus and the first thing that happens is he's going to be around Ananias. Ananias is coming, reluctantly of course, but he comes to Saul. The scales are removed from his eyes. Saul's been fasting and praying for three days. He wakes up from that. He's, his sight is regained. He eats, he drinks, he's baptized, and he's strengthened through that. All through the course of mixing with a believer, someone he just the day before would be seeking to arrest or kill. And the Bible teaches us that bad company corrupts good morals. God wants us to be around other believers because it's going to strengthen us. It's going to build us up. It's going to help us discover that which he wants us to do. We're going to find encouragement with that. We're going to find prayer partners through that. We're going to find training through that. Later on, Paul would go and collect a young man named Timothy, and he would tell them, the people here in Lystra say nothing but good things about you. You are spoke well of around here. And he's going to take Timothy under his wing, and he's going to teach Timothy to lead, and he's going to teach him to train others. He's going to teach him to pastor a church. He's going to transfer from himself that which he has learned and that which God has shown him. He's going to mix with another believer for that purpose. So we experience God through salvation. Immediately get with other believers, and that's what we want to do with our children. We want them to experience God. We want them to experience salvation. We want them to experience worship. They want, we want them to learn and understand what that means, what that looks like. That they're not too young for it. And we want them to understand the power of good company. We want them to understand the power of good godly influence. Because Satan is out to out-influence us. The task is great. So we want to do everything we can to get them and really ourselves around others that can help build us up as the body of Christ. So that we're well-armed and well-defended and well-prepared. For that which Satan would throw at us. So there's experiencing God through salvation and worship. There's mixing with other believers. And then the next E would be embracing God's purpose. And see, Saul would have to do this because now his purpose has changed. His purpose is different. He's gone from, of course, being very religious, by the way, but gone from seeking to arrest Christians to now being one of them. And they don't even trust him. I mean, the disciples are afraid of him. But he spends time with the disciples that are there in Damascus. 
those other followers of Jesus there in Damascus. But he's uh, discovering very quickly that there's a different purpose for him to embrace. In fact, it's interesting, if you turn over to, uh, let's see, 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there, I'll just turn there. I'll read it to you. Yep, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. There's this section, it's in chapter 6 where he starts to talk about not putting stumbling blocks in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, and beatings, imprisonments, riots, and hard work, sleepless nights. Anybody have those? (laughs) And hunger. And purity and understanding and patience, kindness in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love and truthful speech in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. Through glory and dishonor, through bad report, good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. He's describing the hardships and the things that they go through because see now his purpose has changed. He's embracing a new way of living. He's embracing a new purpose, a new direction. In fact, if you go, you don't have to go there, but if you were to go to Galatians, you're going to read Paul lays out his own resume and he talks about if anyone can boast, he can boast in what he's accomplished. But it's all for naught. It's just rubbish compared to Christ and following Christ in that passion. And so what happens is once we have an experience with God, and of course we're mixing with other believers, we need to embrace, embrace our purpose. It's really God's purpose for us. And this too is what we want children to do. We want them to embrace their purpose, and the earlier they can see that, the better. But when we embrace our purchase, purpose, our purchase, when we embrace our purpose, that often if not always, causes a rearrangement. That's what the R stands for. Rearrange. You see, once I experience God, I encounter God through salvation, I'm getting together with other believers, spending time growing, learning more, building strength. I embrace a different purpose because now my life is not my own. It belongs to God. What is the purpose that God has for me? Now, I don't know about you, my purpose feels like it has changed a, baz- a gazillion times through the course of not only my life, but really my ministry. And yet every single one has been clearly defined by God, clearly communicated by God to me. We embrace that purpose. Once we've embraced that purpose, what does that require? It requires a a giving, giving of ourselves. Embrace God's purpose for our lives then dictates that we have to give of ourselves towards that purpose. Even down to our very lives in some cases. I mean, saying yes to the next generation. You know, maybe, maybe there's something God wants you to give to that. 
Maybe, maybe there's an embracing of a new attitude. Maybe there's an embracing of a new purpose. And therefore leading you to a different way of giving towards the next generation. And children's ministry is probably really spelled time, T-I-M-E. Because we're spending a whole lot of time building children. And really, building families. When we embrace our purpose, we have to give. We can't stop with just recognizing that God has something different for us to do. We actually have to act on it and do that which he's called us to do. Whatever that looks like for you. So we experience God through salvation. We mix with other believers. We embrace God's purpose. We give of ourselves. And then the last one, the last E would be engage. Engaging others. And see, I think this is the discipleship pattern. I really do. I think this is a good way to look at discipling other people. Because it's circular. If you get to the stage E where you're engaging other people, that means that every encounter you have in your mind, you're thinking, okay, how does this fit within the realm of the purpose God has called me to? How does this fit within the framework of where he's planted me? How does the new person that's come on board as an employee of our company, how does that fit within the framework of what God's called me to do where I work? You see, you don't just have to work for a church to be a minister. In fact, I would, I would argue that every single Christian in this room is a minister. We, we are the body of Christ. We have a responsibility of reaching win. We have a responsibility of reflecting Christ accurately. Not your staff. I mean, we have that responsibility, but it's the same responsibility that you have. And it's not any easier for us because we're staff. Don't think for one minute that I don't have moments where I'm thinking, ah, is this going to be a ministry moment? <laughs> not that I don't love ministry, but sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes it surprises us. I don't want somebody talking to me while I pump gas. I, I really, I just don't. I, and I definitely don't want you talking to me in the restroom. Mike's the worst about that. He's always, I, but he's a Christian, so I don't have to, you know, witness to him or anything. My point is, you know, sometimes it's inconvenient, but we are called to the responsibility of looking and seeing, keeping our eyes open, just like, just like Paul when the scales fell off, his eyes were open. Our eyes need to be open, the scales need to be off, and we need to see everything around us, everyone around us, within the framework of God's plan and God's purposes, and more specifically, God's plan and purposes for us. Because hopefully, we're embracing that purpose. Hopefully, we have rearranged ourselves to the point that we are bent towards that purpose, and that we lean towards that purpose, so that when it comes, we see it, we grasp it, and we operate diligently towards that purpose we've got to engage other people every encounter every moment 
We engage your children. We do. And this morning I heard a story, as I told you, of a child engaging another child. You know, it almost sounds like she went from experiencing God through salvation to engaging another in a week's time. That's fast. Now, of course, you know, she was already mixed with other believers. And she probably has a very childlike understanding of embracing God's purpose. But really, isn't that where God wants us to be anyway? I mean, a childlike embrace of his purpose, childlike faith, a childlike trust. We have to work hard at that as adults. So my question for you tonight is, where do you fall on that scale? If the word emerge is a scale of measurement, that first E, can you say for sure that you've had an encounter with God through salvation? Everybody's not going to have a Damascus Road experience. The lights aren't just going to blare around us and we lose our sight and the voice of God himself says, why are you persecuting me? I mean, that is a fantastic story from Scripture. That man turned around and penned most of the words of the New Testament under God's guidance. But like me, maybe you're experience with God is simply sitting in that pew and realizing God is God is pressing upon my heart he's drawing me to himself and now is my moment this is the moment that I have to choose am I going to respond to his clear communication or not so maybe that's you tonight maybe you're sitting here and that's you and you could have sat in church all your life I mean Paul studied his religion all his life before God saved him but that's different from having an encounter with God. Or maybe you haven't quite embraced that purpose. Maybe you're resistant to that. And maybe where you are is that you know you're saved. I mean, I'm good with that. Man, preacher, that's, I'm good, man. I know I'm going to heaven. If we had my funeral tomorrow, man, people would say great things about me. There'd be no question. They could declare, foot on the floor, he is in heaven tonight. But what if they took it a little further and said whether or not you embraced God's purpose? You know, you can always, you see the difference in funerals when somebody lived a life like that. Man, it shows. That end of life assessment, it doesn't lie. It really doesn't. Maybe you're on that scale right now where you've not quite embraced God's purpose and you're wrestling with it and you're fighting that. And like Jacob, man, you're just wrestling all night long with the Lord. He's going to hurt your hip. (laughs) Maybe there's some rearranging that needs to happen. Maybe there's some rearranging in your life now that needs to be done. Well, that's what this place is for. I don't know where you are on that scale. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. And it really is not my business, frankly. It's you and the Lord. But please you haven't even touched that first E, I beg you, come down front. Share with one of our pastors. Say, you know what, that's me. I watch these kids get baptized every time. 
I watch these teenagers get baptized every time. I watch these adults get baptized, and I think, man, that's me. I'm not, uh, that's, that's where I need to be. Tonight's your night. Or maybe you just need to spend some time in prayer down here. Maybe you just need to solidify it by making a move. And I know there's nothing magical about that, but maybe, maybe that's what's required to kind of solidify it for yourself. Say, this is the moment I'm taking a step. It's a symbolic step that I'm going to move in the direction that God wants me to move from here on out. And if that's you, I'd invite you to come down. You don't have to share it with anybody, but you just come down and pray. Whatever God has called you to do, tonight's the night to do it. It's time for you to emerge. It's time for you to rise up. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here tonight. God, I thank you. Oh, man, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here tonight. God, I pray for the people in this room, Lord, and I pray, God, that we are each as your body here in Wynn, Arkansas. Father, we are embracing our purpose. Father, I pray that we are constantly rearranging our lives towards you. Father, I pray that whatever you're speaking to our hearts tonight, Father, that we would not be disobedient by ignoring it, but, Father, that we would act on it. And, Father, we would follow you. Father, we would follow right right to your feet of your throne. So, God, I ask now that you just press a little harder. Though gently, I pray that you press hard and you would move us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name, I pray.